According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. We got uh, a good start on this chapter last week, and I want to get right back to it as we're looking at the benefits of a lifetime spent in the Word of God. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. All of that is introductory to the great gospel message. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. All right, before we get started this morning, let's take time for silent prayer, asking God the Father to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing we have on this day to assemble together. Thank you for your faithfulness day by day and moment by moment. Thank you, Father, for the power of your word, how it comes alive, how it springs forth, how it bears fruit, how it guards uh, our hearts and our minds. Father, how it uh, saves us day by day and moment by moment. I pray that on this day, as we assemble together, as we humble ourselves under the authority of your truth, that you would once again bless us and and uh, place your word uh, within our heart. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, Proverbs chapter 3 turns to the long-term benefits of a life spent in the Word of God. A life spent in the Word of God. Should the commandments not be forgotten, and should they be kept from the heart? All right, two things will derail you. You can have a great start. But if you don't follow through and if you don't have a strong finish, then what good does it do you? If uh, you get grounded in the Word of God, we talk so much about how grounding our children in the Word of God from childhood is so valuable and so important, and it is. But that grounding in the Word of God needs to be followed up, and they need to build on that grounding. They need to build on that foundation. They themselves need to spend their lives in the Word of God as well. If you forget the Word of God, then these benefits do not accrue. If, uh, if you know folks that have departed from uh, sound teaching, they've departed from occupying with Christ and living in the Word of God, they've departed from the operation of a local church and the shepherding that they are designed to, uh, to take part in, then uh, these benefits are not going to accrue. The, the, uh, the benefits go with not forgetting, do not forget my teaching, and, not, and keeping the commandments from the heart. Let your heart keep my commandments. So should they be kept from the heart and should they not be forgotten, then these, uh, these benefits will accrue. And the benefits include length of days, years of life, and peace. Subpoints A, B, and C. Every believer can expect three additions to their human experience when they are abiding in the Word of God. Three additions to their human experience the things that God has promised. And we want to understand them for what they are. We want to understand them in the spiritual dimension. We want to understand them as uh, Proverbs uh, itself teaches them. We don't just want to grab hold of it in an immature basis and start blaming God when they don't come true. Okay? We don't want to abuse Proverbs in the process of claiming Proverbs. 
All right, and this is what we talked about when we very first opened up the study, when we very first started teaching what a Proverbs is, when we very first started teaching what is the nature of wisdom literature, how is it that wisdom literature presents normal, how wisdom literature presents the, uh, the normal way things operate. So as a rule, on a normal basis, this is what the Word of God will do. Are there exceptions to normal? Are there exceptions to the rule? Are there other principles that have to be brought in as well? Okay, And this is, uh, this is very huge. And if we understand this, then we can be very relaxed about certain things. If we don't understand this, we can tear ourselves up. We can lose our faith. We can become absolutely devastated. And if you, you, you probably know what I'm talking about, or if you've not been exposed to it, let me just say, uh, people try to claim Proverbs as if they're promises, and they're not. They're principles. The difference between a doctrine and a promise and a principle is huge. And so they come across a proverb, they come across a principle like train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. And then they get angry because they have a child that has departed from it. All right, They have a child that's, that's uh, presently not walking in the light, that's presently walking in darkness. And they're blaming God for that as if God has let them down. They say, well, I raised them right. What's wrong with God? I raised them better than this. And they're not, uh, God is not uh, fulfilling his promise. Okay, well, you're holding him to a promise that's not a promise. You are taking a principle and you're trying to force it into a promise. Okay, likewise here, length of days and years of life and then you get mad because uh, your husband died at the age of 58 or uh, something else took place and, and now you're disillusioned and now you're discouraged. Now you think God's a liar. Now you think, well, it doesn't work. And you start to think that, well, I should have peace. I don't have peace right now. It's God's fault that I don't have peace. And so we look at the, this length of days and years of life and peace, and we, we, we grab hold of it on an immature basis, as if we're just a, a child that found the cookie jar for the first time, right? And, and, we, and, and now we get mad because it's out of cookies, all right? We fail to realize what wisdom literature truly is and what the principles are and what the real promises are. Um, and by the way, Steve Arnold still has length of days and years of life and peace. He has far more than we have capacity to understand right now. Simply because he's not enjoying those blessings on this earth doesn't mean he does not have them any longer. Okay, So that's ultimately what we come to. And hopefully in the understanding of wisdom, in the understanding of these dimensions of wisdom, we can um, have our thinking broadened into a whole lot better capacity, <laughs> all right? Different dimensions of understanding. And that's what we got to last week, talking about the length of days. And I'm not going to go back over these verses this morning, but these verses on length of days, the auric yamim, okay? An auric is plain and simple, a, a, uh, an adjective of length. It's an, a, it's an adjective of, of linear dimensions. And we first find it in Genesis 6 when God's giving Noah the instructions about how to build the ark. You know, how many cubits long, how many cubits wide, well, the, the term for length in, uh, in, in that passage and throughout the Old Testament is our term auric, all right? We've got auric, uh, we've got as a, as a noun, we've got arach as a verb. And so when we combine uh, either the noun or the verb with uh, the term yam or yamim for days, we end up with these idioms of length of days, length of days, okay? And then we move on from there to uh, years of life, years of life, okay? And we'll talk about that here in a moment. But in the, in the 
connection of these things, though, we want to understand there's different ways to evaluate a length, different ways to evaluate um, the, 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 the span involved. And we've seen that in all those passages from Job 12 to Psalm 21, Psalm 23, Psalm 91, Psalm 93. And in many of those passages, we're talking about length of days, but it's more than just the days on this earth. It goes from the days on this earth all the way to the days of eternity, all the way to the, the eternal day, we call it. Scripture calls it the eternal day. And so uh, understand that in this idiom, in this expression, length of days, okay, we're talking about the God's reward to those who already have eternal life. <laughs> so how can you have more days than infinite? How can you have longer days than infinite? All right. That's why I say it's not a simple passage. And it's not just a simple, uh, you know, like honor your father and mother and, and the first commandment with a promise, right? That you may live long in the land. Okay? Well, what capacity of life is he giving you? And what, start thinking of length of days as more than just counting the number of them. And start to understand how God the Father has himself blessed each and every one of those days. Each and every one of those days. So it was, is that possible? How can he do that? Because he's God. That's how he can do that. Stop limiting what you think God can do. Say, well, every day I have is 24 hours. Every day you have is 24 hours. But how productive are those days? How deep are those days? How long are those days? Has he in fact lengthened them? Do you now have a perspective for those days that takes today and uses it for eternity? All right? Because if you fritter away today and use it for your own lust or carnality or some earthly thing, then you just shorten that day. I'll tell you right here and now. You just shorten that day. It's a day that will not count for eternity whatsoever. At the beam of seat, you're going to watch the, the wood hand stubble go up and smoke. You know what I'm talking about? Okay? But if you redeem the time because the days are evil, if you, make, if you seize this day, as it says, teach us to number our days and we may present before you a heart of wisdom. And so if you choose to make this day count for eternity and you spend today in fellowship and you serve the Lord today and you are um, busy about your father's business, you are accomplishing that for which he sent for you to do, then this day just got lengthened. This day just got lengthened because it just got magnified for all eternity. You're going to watch the gold, silver, and precious stones for all eternity. This day will reward you for all eternity. So you understand there's one facet of how I can appreciate length of days. And the length of days, what the impact that the Word of God has on my soul. As the Word of, this is what we're talking about, as the Word of God shapes your thinking. Do not forget my teachings. Let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. The teachings, the commandments, if you don't forget them, if you keep them from the heart, this is the impact of what doctrine will do. Three additions to your human experience when you are abiding in the Word of God. And that includes a lengthening of your days. All right. And there's a ton of stuff there. We'll, uh, we'll let that go for now. Secondly, though, we have years of life. Years of life. Shanoth Chaim. Shanoth Chaim. Years of life. Okay, so we have Shana, which is a year, plural Shanoth. Why are years feminine? I don't know. <laughs> uh, chaim. Why are days masculine? I don't know. Okay, I'm not going to get in trouble this morning by speculating. 
Uh, it's just because they are, all right? Why is La Mesa feminine? In, why are tables feminine in Spanish? I don't know, okay? I did not make up these languages. <laughs> anyway, <coughs> length, uh, length of days and years of life. Chaim, all right? Eve became the mother of all the living. That's why she was given the name Chava. She was given the name uh, Eve. And we have Chai for life and Chaim. Um, years of lives. Why is Chaim plural? How many lives do we have? Ah, now we're starting to think, wait a minute. There's more in this passage than originally I thought. I thought it was just throwaway poetry. It's just, uh, it's just poetry. Don't pay much attention to it. Length of days, years of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I get that. It's just, it's just poetry. He's being redundant, saying the same thing all over again. No, he's not saying the same thing all over. He's saying two different things. He's actually saying three different things. Because there's length of days, years of life, and shalom, and peace. So clearly, we have a progression with three items, and you cannot just throw away the first two and say that it's just repetitive poetry and flowery language, and don't worry about it. All scriptures, God-breathed and profitable, and even the flowery language has doctrine. We want to understand the poetry for what it is. So we have years of life. We actually have a, um, an expression that's used three times in the Proverbs. This is the first of the three times. It's going to come back again in chapter 4. It's going to come back again in chapter 9. Let's take a look at each of those. Chapter 4 and chapter 9. All three of these are in what we call the, what I call the parental wisdom portion of the book. The first nine chapters of Proverbs, which is uh, the parental wisdom portion of Proverbs. The Proverbs that Solomon adapted from his own teaching when David and Bathsheba were raising him as a boy. All right? The first nine chapters of Proverbs is what he received from David and Bathsheba. It's not until we get to Proverbs 10 that we get to the ones that he himself composed in terms of the Proverbs of Solomon. All right, so Proverbs chapter 4. Again, it's, uh, it's interesting here. It's, it starts off, Hear, O sons, the chapter begins. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father. Give attention that you may gain understanding. Here is, uh, remember, all of David's sons were princes and some of them started to fight one another for the throne, Right? Um, for I give you sound teaching, do not abandon my instruction. When I was a son to my father, you understand this? Here is David reflecting back to how Jesse brought him up in doctrine. And here is David passing that on to Solomon. And here's Solomon who would ideally want to pass that along to Rehoboam, theoretically, if, you know, there weren't all those other women everywhere, okay? (laughs) Um... Anyway, when I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, the seventh and youngest, the runt of the litter in uh, terms of David's generation. Then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Ah, here's a kind of life that we've got to focus on. Keep my commandments and live. We understand that there are a whole lot of people that are physically alive, but they have no kind of spiritual life whatsoever. They have no kind of abundant life whatsoever. They, even if they're saved, are they really living for their spiritual life? Or are they still living for temporal life? Are they living for their uh, careers and their material achievements and, and uh, earthly things? Do they really have, do they lay hold of that for which is life indeed? Okay, I believe that's what we have in view here when it says, length of days and years of life it will add to you. The capacity for the spiritual life that uh, the Word of God produces. 
So keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Do not forget or turn away from the words of my mouth. That's, that's such a snare. You get tired of it. You go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. And then you drift and then you head off to college and you get away. Do not forsake her. She will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all you're acquiring, get understanding. Don't ever stop acquiring wisdom. Don't ever think that you've arrived. You don't need Bible class anymore. Then it says, prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace and she will present you with a crown of beauty. All right. Well, we have the uh, years of life. And then finally, verse 10, hear my son, accept my sayings and the years of your life will be many. The years of your life will be many. I've directed you in the way of wisdom. I've led you in upright paths. And so it goes on. All right. Now, Again, are there exceptions to this? Is this the general rule? Is this valid as normal for the normal experience of believers walking in the light? Sure. As a general rule, believers walking in the light don't die the sin unto death. Why don't they die the sin unto death? Because they're walking in the light, (laughs) right? Because they are operating according to God's design as a normal rule. As a normal rule, believers that spend their life in darkness that had, you know the prodigal son that heads out there should he not come to his senses should he not repent as a general rule those believers have a shorter life god removes them because of the sin and the death as a general rule okay so don't go pointing to somebody and say what what did they do <laughs> why did they die so young what was their secret sin okay understand we are fallen bodies in a fallen world the rain falls on the just and the unjust believers get cancer just as unbelievers get cancer um little boys get hit uh by cars in the street all right did he do something wrong all these things you know who sinned was it this man or his parents that he should be born blind wait a minute okay and this is where again the key to wisdom is understanding how do all of these general rules intersect because yes, it's a promise, or it's a, it's a principle that abiding in the Word of God gives this long life. But are there exceptions to that general principle? Because there's other general principles too. Like, we get cancer, okay? Bad things happen. So understanding how God works all these general rules together, we don't, we don't, get, uh, we don't get buggy about it, we don't fall to pieces if we're trying to claim a general rule as an absolute promise, see? That's where the trouble comes in. Over to chapter 9, our next example. So if you want to give a short answer to somebody that's really struggling with that and say, well, how come he didn't get length of life? How come he didn't get the number of years added? How How come he died so young? Well, because that's a principle, as a general rule, and, and uh, this friend of yours was an exception to the rule. God had another purpose involved for that person's life. All right, Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 11. By me, uh, your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. And so again, a lot of times we find days that are used in, in parallel to years. 
Obviously, years are made up of days. But ye, uh, days and years are used in poetry. They're used in tandem, one with another. And I think we want to understand both of them. It's not just, uh, I mean, what's the value in, in uh, suffering through 90 years of life if every day in the meantime was, was a train wreck? If every day in the meantime was just you hated each one of those days. If you hated all those days, are you going to look back over the years with thankfulness, with joy? I think it's good that wisdom literature teaches both the days and the years, that we want to be living day by day. We want every day to be a blessing. And uh, the more of those we stack up, the, uh, the um, obviously, then it has the cumulative effect. We're going to see that in these other passages here. People very bitter at the end of their life. And you wonder why. Well, because they were very bitter day by day by day as they got to the end of their life. No shocker there in how, how it uh, was produced. Okay? The contrast of perspective is remarkable, and I think if we contrast Genesis 25 with Genesis 47, we're going to see uh, we're going to see both sides of that of that equation. And then uh, I think Ecclesiastes will give us a nice uh, perspective for what the human viewpoint uh, uh, attitude would be towards all of this. All right, Genesis. So let's go to Genesis 25 and then Genesis 47. Genesis 25 to start with. All last year, I was in the book of Genesis with the teen class, and we picked that up again this year. I'm enjoying it very much. Almost made Genesis the Sunday morning study, but went to Isaiah and Jeremiah instead. Anyway, so I'm doing Genesis with the teenagers, having a good time with that. So we're past this one already. We got to uh, Judah and Tamar last Sunday night, so we're uh, working our way through. (laughs) All right. Sarah dies at the end of chapter 24. And I mean, think how long they were married. I mean, goodness. And uh, didn't even have a baby until she was 90 and he was 100. And then uh, he lives to be 175. And we're not entirely certain at what age it was here that um, Sarah dies. Although Isaac marries Rebecca, and we think at that point he was already 40. That would have put pegged Sarah at uh, 130 and Abraham at 140, right? So no wonder he remarries here, and uh, he's only 140 <laughs> in Genesis 25. So Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah, and she bore to him Zimran and Jokshan and Medan and Midian and Ibshak and Shua. And uh, Jokshan became the father of Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Ashurim and Ledushim and Lemumin. So these are the non-Jewish descendants of Abraham. The non uh, beyond Ishmael and Esau, okay, you have all these other tribes through Keturah, Arab tribes through Keturah. And uh, the sons of Midian were Ephah and Epher and Hanak and Abida and Eldah. These are the sons of Keturah. All right. Remember, Abraham would become a father of a multitude. He's the father of a multitude of nations, not just the uh, Israelites and the Edomites and the Ishmaelites. <coughs> There's a whole multitude of nations there. So, from age about 140 to 175, he uh, and Keturah raised all those children. But Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, to the sons of his concubines, Abraham, plural. How many was that? Okay, We know about Hagar, we know about Keturah, but they're called wives, so they weren't called concubines. There's more questions in Genesis than answers in Genesis. <laughs> all right. 
Uh, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. They had no inheritance in the promised land. That was limited to Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right, now these are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. And Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life. An old man and satisfied with life. If we consider the doctrine of satisfaction, like God the Father's propitiation with uh, the work of Christ, we understand satisfaction. We understand our satisfaction. If it's adjusted to God's viewpoint, we can be satisfied. If uh, we're not adjusted to God's viewpoint, we're setting ourselves up for an awful lot of dissatisfaction, an awful lot of regrets, an awful lot of lamentations about, oh, what I didn't do, what I wanted to do, what I couldn't do, and all the rest. So satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. We think of death as a departure, right? We think of death as a loss that we're losing because, uh, you know, I lost my mother or you lost whoever and, and all these things. And we say lost. It's a dumb idiom. We use it all the time. And I think it's stupid. I didn't lose my mom. I know where she is. <laughs> okay. Um, and who did we really lose anyway? I'm going to be there before, before I know it. Okay. But think about who she gained. She gained Christ. She gained, you know, absent from the bodies to be at home with the Lord and, uh, and her mother and, uh, and all those that her grandmother that raised her and all the, the uh, folks that went before she had a, a son who was widowed and a daughter who was widowed and she gets reunited with, with, with uh, both of them and all the rest. Gathered to his people. Remember, in my father's house are many dwelling places. So there's the perspective there. And this is the positive example. This is what we want. We want this positive example. Then the contrast, chapter 47. <coughs> Genesis 47. We're not quite here yet with the teenagers. It's a fun class, by the way, and they, they ask good questions. <laughs> you know, and they think, and they, they, uh, they put two and two together, and they, they, uh, it's, it's good. I want them to know that I'm not just their parents' pastor, I'm their pastor, and different questions that they have and things that come up. All right. So uh, we're familiar with the process here. The brothers of Joseph hated him. They sold him into slavery, but it was a good thing. Okay? It wasn't good, but he worked together for good. It put Joseph in a position where he uh, rises to prominence in Egypt, and now he can feed them during the time of famine as it comes up. It's God's provision for these uh, brothers that didn't deserve it, right? And, uh, and then uh, they bring Joseph down, or they bring Jacob down, and Joseph introduces Jacob to Pharaoh, and um, this is the context here for uh, chapter 47. Verse 1 says, Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan. Behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers, presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? So they told Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and our father. And that's pretty loathsome to the Egyptians. But uh, it's true, so that's what they're telling them. Then uh, they said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks. The famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. Shows you the favor that Joseph had in the sight of Pharaoh, right? Then Joseph brought his father, Jacob, and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Jacob blessed Pharaoh, the heir to the Abrahamic covenant is providing a blessing to, I believe, a believer um, in terms of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? Now here's the contrast. Okay, You would think if you're 147 um, or 130, here we go, um, he will live to be 147. But Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning are 130. And then look at this, few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my father lived during the days my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. See, Isaac outlived Abraham. Isaac lives to be 180. He tops Abraham. That's actually a reversal because from the flood they were on a curve going down. From a flood, you know, they were going from 900 to 600 to 200 to 100. All right, they're on that curve going down after the flood. And Abraham lived to be 175, but Isaac outdid him. His son lived to be 180. But Jacob is going to be shorter and uh, much shorter. So, and then the attitude, few and unpleasant have been the years of my life. And, and, and just what a, what a perspective, what a contrast. And I think uh, Ecclesiastes 6 will spell this out for us too. All right. So get past uh, Psalms and Proverbs and we turn to Ecclesiastes. If you get to Song of Solomon, you've gone too far. (coughs) Ecclesiastes 6. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is prevalent among men. Remember, Ecclesiastes is Solomon's viewpoint during his years of darkness. His viewpoint without divine viewpoint. His viewpoint, and God permits it to be written in the Bible, what we call a human viewpoint when a believer is not occupied with Christ. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. And from a human viewpoint standard, if there's something you've worked for and earned and deserved and gotten, and yet you can't enjoy the benefit of it because someone else uh, has plundered it, that's uh, that's horrible. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they may be, if a man fathers a hundred children, jeepers. Okay, well, if you have a thousand women, okay. (laughs) All right, yeah, it's not one poor wife that's going to have to Give birth to all those. All right. And lives many years, however many they may be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things. And he does not even have a proper burial. And I say, better the miscarriage than he. For it comes in futility and goes in obscurity, and its name is covered in obscurity. Talking about the miscarriage. It never sees the sun. It never knows anything. It is better off than he. Well, how depressing and pathetic is this passage? Okay. But see, this goes to show. You can have all the money on earth and all the women and all the life and all the whatever. 
and you don't have the divine viewpoint capacity, you're not obeying Proverbs chapter 3, and you're the author of Proverbs chapter 3? I mean, how, how pathetic is that? Um, even if the other man lives a thousand years twice and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to one place. Now, nobody even lived a thousand years. Methuselah is the record holder at 969. But even if a human being could survive in his mortality double the length of time, a thousand years twice, and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to the world. What, what a pathetic attitude. Well, we're all going to die anyway, right? We're all going to die anyway, so what, what's the difference? That's the sadness of a life apart from the Word of God. I think uh, Jacob had that perspective. It was reflected in what he said to Pharaoh there in, in chapter 47. Abraham did not reflected in his statement of Genesis chapter 25. See, there's the contrast. So, uh, years of life. Years of life. And if, if all you do is look at it in, um, in uh, earthly terms, it's almost nonsensical. Years of life. Well, aren't they all years of life? <laughs> you know, if there's 46 of them, or there's 70, 58 of them, or there's 70 of them, or whatever, when you die we stop counting, right? So, you know, we stop counting because every year is a year of life. (laughs) And when you no longer are alive, we stop counting those years of life. That's why my mother had 70, didn't have 72, okay? Because she only had 70. So why is this promise years of life significant? Because then we've got to stop and say, well, wait a minute, what kind of life? Am I really laying hold of that which is life indeed? Is this the richness of the life? Am I satisfied with these days? Am I truly occupying with this life that God is offering me? Living that abundant life. And then finally, peace. The third provision. Shalom. Shalom. S-H-A-L-O-W-M. Shalom. The name Solomon itself comes from Shalom, all right? The peace that God gave to David and Bathsheba after the death of the firstborn son. It speaks of completeness. It speaks of wholeness, soundness, commonly rendered as peace. And and for a, a term that's found 236 times in the Old Testament, I mean, goodness, it's everywhere in the Old Testament, Except Proverbs, not so much. Proverbs, only three times in Proverbs. Out of 236 uses in Proverbs. It's used throughout the Psalms. And this one I think is interesting because you would want it to be in Proverbs more. You would think that it would be in Proverbs more. And the only reason I think that you would think that it would be in Proverbs more is because we've... we've bit into some of the world's philosophies of what life is all about. Is life all about peace? <laughs> is, 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 should peace be our driving aim, our driving goal? Or is it about wisdom? Is it about serving God? Is it about walking in the light? I think Proverbs gives us wisdom and correct living, upright living, discernment, and doesn't say a whole lot about peace. Only three times does it mention any all throughout the book of Proverbs. Now, it's in the Psalms everywhere. It's in the Psalms everywhere, but it's not a goal. It's a benefit, but it's not a goal. 
And I think if we, if we confuse that, we start making it our goal, then we start, we start making wrong decisions. So it's a benefit, but it's not a goal, if that makes sense. All right, so this is the first time that it's used, is in 3.2. In the same chapter, it comes back the second time that it's used, down in verse uh, 17. Talking about wisdom and how we're to cling to her, and long life is in her right hand, her left hand, her riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, all her paths are peace. Okay? It's a description of that path. It's a description of embracing wisdom instead of embracing the harlot. And uh, so forth. So it's descriptive, but it's not, it's not prescriptive. It's not the promise. It's not the goal. It's provided in the process of taking us to what the goal ultimately is. And then the only other use in Proverbs is in chapter 12. Chapter 12 and verse 10. We've totally left the parental wisdom section at this point. We get into... Uh, remember in chapter 10, we have a new heading the Proverbs of Solomon, and we have a new style, a new method of writing with the distiches and the, the different uh, aspects of the Proverbs there in chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12. Um, and I'm not seeing it. Is it in verse 10? A, a righteous man has regard the life of his animal, but even the compassion of the wicked is cruel. Okay, I may have to look that up. That may not be the right verse. Proverbs 3 and verse 2. And I'll right-click, look at Shalom. And search this resource. Went too far. Story of my life. There we go. Ah, there it is. Verse 20. Okay, verse 20. No harm befalls the righteous, but the wicked. Nope, verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. All right. So who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to turn to for advice? You're going to turn to the uh, <laughs> evil devisers? But counselors of peace have joy. All right. So that's it. That is all the Proverbs has to say about peace. <laughs> Which is, I think, extraordinary. That is a, you know, you say, well, that's an argument from silence. Yeah, it's a very loud argument from silence. It's a very loud silence. Especially when uh, you look around and you see people that are completely dedicating themselves to what they call peace, what they call tranquility, what they call a lack of problems, what they call, you know, they're just, they're just doing everything they can as if peace itself is the goal. As if peace itself is is the uh, the idol that they're they're pursuing and chasing and craving and bowing down at the God of peace, and they've totally lost sight of who the God of peace even is or who the Prince of Peace even is and why. In this world, we will have tribulation. Okay. Peace uh, can be that inner happiness, that stability, that 
that blessing in the midst of chaos going on all around you. Don't confuse your earthly circumstances with the spiritual tranquility that God provides. The fruit of the Spirit is peace, love, joy, peace. You know, instead of pursuing it as if you you have to have it, just walk in the light and He'll produce it. Okay? It's incidental to the walk, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Rather than some kind of grand goal we're supposed to arrive at. All right. Length of days, years of life, and peace. If you want more on peace, you see the... Uh, I'll show you where to find it. There's your search results. There's every time that that uh, shalom appears in the Old Testament. And then when you graph your results, and I like to pop it out. There you go. Interestingly enough, um, the, quite a few of them are Psalms. But then you got the Twin Towers there of Isaiah and Jeremiah. Isn't that something? <laughs> Where are we right now on Sunday mornings? Oh, look at that. Isaiah and Jeremiah. Okay? Anyway, there's, uh, there's what you want to look at when you're studying Shalom. Let's get to point three. Abiding in the Word of God equals fellowship with the Lord in kindness and truth. Abiding in the Word of God equals... Fellowship with the Lord in kindness and truth. This will uh, form a great uh, blessing to us since we've recently been in 1 John talking about fellowship on Sunday nights. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. All right, here's our fellowship. Here's the favor that we find with both God and man. And it comes in abiding in the Word of God. (coughs) Kindness and truth. Do not let them leave you. Do not let them leave you. And who is kindness and truth, by the way? We have here a description of Jesus Christ. And we're going to demonstrate that as we see, uh, see these things unfold. Um. Abiding in the Word of God equals fellowship with the Lord in kindness and truth. If you're not abiding in the Word of God, if you are forgetting His teachings, if you're not keeping them from the heart, if, uh, if, if doctrine is something you visit every so often, you're not living in the Word. All right? And you're not fellowshipping with Jesus Christ. Absolutely not fellowshipping with Jesus Christ. You have to know, on what basis can I fellowship with Jesus Christ? On what basis can I fellowship with my church family, with my pastor, with a fellow believer who also is abiding in the Word of God? All right, And you can find other things in common with unbelievers, and they might even call it fellowship, but it's not biblical fellowship, okay? It's not biblical fellowship. But where the heart is, there the, or where the treasure is, there the, the heart will be also, okay? You, you know where a person's heart is. You know what their priorities are. You know if they are disciples or not. It's, it's not hard. I mean, it's, you just start talking to them. Bring up a scripture, bring up a promise, bring up a, a doctrinal concept. And if you, if you find that it's just the, the eyes glaze over, the, the puzzled what, you know, um, <laughs> you realize man, they're, just, they're just not there. They're not living there. They don't even visit very often anymore, okay? 
But if they're living in the Word, if you know that every morning they're in the Scriptures, you say, hey, what verse were you in this morning? Oh, I was in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And then I was in Jude for a little bit. And then we were looking at this other verse. And it just comes, it comes, it comes, it comes, it comes. Oh, well. Give me a Scripture. What, where were you this morning in your devotions? Oh, well. Didn't get to it this morning. I haven't, I haven't done it yet. I'm going to do that this afternoon. All right, I believe you. Because uh, love believes all things. Where were you yesterday? Oh, well, um, the day before, or the day before. Give me some kind of verse. You've been there at all? But uh, hey, what do you think? Uh, you know, is Aaron Rodgers really that hurt? Do you think it's, how, what do you think about the Packers in Seattle on Sunday? Oh, man. Then they'll start telling you about Aaron Rodgers. They'll start telling you about the offensive line and say, you know, I'm, I'm also concerned about the center. And they'll start talking about it. You find out right away, wait a minute, well, I know where your heart is. It's pretty easy to talk about football, isn't it? Okay? And you know the injured reserve list, and you know all the other details, and you, you, you know, if you know all the intricacies about all kinds of passing routes and all kinds of coverage patterns and different things, well, what do you spend your time in? You do a fair amount of reading on that, don't you? How do you learn about that kind of stuff? And why does it come so quickly to your lips? Okay? So, we're talking about not letting go of kindness and truth. Not letting it slip from your fingers. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. See, if you're not holding to it, it's going to slip away. Don't let it. I love these don't let it imperatives. They're great. Because the don't let it imperative, don't let sin reign over you, right? Don't let sin reign over you so that you obey its lusts. We saw that in Romans chapter 6. Don't let it. If it's raining over you, the only reason it's raining over you is because you let it rain over you. Don't let it. Don't let kindness and truth leave you. Hold on to it. Don't let it go. Bind them around your neck. Now, this is a little bit awkward. I believe the them, even though kindness and truth are the nearest antecedents, I think it's better... I think there's a, there's a them that goes all the way back to verse 1. It goes all the way back to the commandments and the teachings. Okay, And this is where, if you're studying language, Greek or Hebrew, either one, we typically, for pronouns, go back to the nearest antecedent unless there is, there is good reason not to. And here we have good reason not to. Because here we have the first verse that sets up teachings and commandments and constantly refers to them in each of these verses that follow, okay? Teachings and commandments. Um, in verse 2, it's they. They will add to you. In verse 3, bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And um, in any event, I, I think that it's best to take the them. We're not going to bind kindness and truth around your neck. We're going to bind the commandments and the law around your neck. And that's what finds the parallel in Exodus and Deuteronomy and other Old Testament passages. So in any event, bind the commandments and the Torah, the teaching and the commandments around your neck. Memorize scripture. Write them on the tablet of your heart. If you have it on your heart, you can't lose it. You know, I've been reaching in my pocket all morning trying to find my pen. And you know what? It's not in my pocket. And I know it's not in my pocket because I remember where I put it. I put it in this little 
binder thing that I was using yesterday and slipped it in there because it had a handy pen holder. And I told myself, I said, don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to leave it at home and you're going to be somewhere without a pen tomorrow. What have I done? Okay. But the Word of God, you can't lose it. You can't leave it somewhere. And if you've got it stashed in your heart, if you have treasured it in your heart, all right, kindness. Probably, if you have to only learn five Hebrew words in your entire life, this better be one of them. All right, the word is chesed. C-H-E-C-E-D or S-E-D. I've seen it transliterated different ways. I probably will go back and redo this with a C. In fact, on paper, I already did. I failed to do it on the, uh, on the slide. Only because I try to maintain consistency between my psalmics and my, and my scenes. Scene, sheen, and uh, psalmic. So uh, this should be C-H-E-C-E-D. Or C-H-E-S-E-D. Like I said, I've seen it transliterated in different ways. Regardless of how you transliterate it, the word is chesed. Try to get that sound like it's cedar season right now, right? And, and, or like, you know, you're in Germany and all you have all the guttural in, in the German language. So chesed. Accent on the first syllable. Chesed. And chesed is this, is, is, it'll become your favorite word ever become your favorite word ever. It's a feminine noun used 245 times in the, in the Old Testament. Most commonly rendered loving kindness. Sometimes it's just rendered kindness. Sometimes it's just rendered love. Uh, sometimes it's rendered tender mercy. Sometimes it's rendered uh, with a number of different things. Compassion. It's really hard to nail down in a single English word. It's also hard to nail down in a single Greek word. The Septuagint translators had a horrible time with it. It... it Chesed is an Old Testament Hebrew term that spans the New Testament Greek terms of charis, elias, and agape. It spans grace, mercy, and love. Chesed is an Old Testament Hebrew term that spans the New Testament Greek terms of charis, which is grace. And the Hebrews had a word for grace. They had a word chen that speaks of grace or favor. And you would think the Septuagint authors would have a very easy time, you know, every time they came across a Hebrew chen, throwing a Greek chorus in there and being done with it. The problem was, was that in usage, chesed spoke to chorus more often than chen spoke to chorus. And likewise, mercy, elias. There's an awful lot of times that the Septuagint authors would just render mercy, would render render uh, chesed is tender mercies. And so they would, in, in putting the Old Testament into Greek, they would use elias for mercy. But then there were sometimes, man, it just really spoke about love. It really spoke about love. Not just someone that was merciful, but someone that was loving in their mercy, loving in their graciousness. And so uh, you have this assortment of renderings in the, in the Septuagint, depending on the passage, and in the New Testament quotations, if a New Testament passage is quoting the Old Testament, so it spans the uh, spectrum here from chesed, from charis, to elias, to agape. But this is the chesed. I'm going to give you some verses for chesed uh, when we get to point C. I'm going to save them for the moment. 
because the blending of, I mean, there's 245 of them, so goodness. The Bible has, the Old Testament has a lot to say about chesed, okay? And uh, it is it is unlike anything any pagan god could come up with. <laughs> None of the gods of the Gentiles ever had chesed the way that God himself has chesed. They might claim to be. Allah claims to be most merciful. Did you notice that? Allah most merciful. You know, and in the common Arabic name of Rahman for whatever, you know, commemorating how Allah is most merciful. I don't think Allah is merciful at all. The Quran doesn't describe him as being merciful. It describes him as being brutal. So these, these false gods can claim to be merciful, but which of these gods ever claims to be chesed? Loving kindness. Okay? I think uh, the Islam views Christian uh, chesed as, as a weakness, or Jewish chesed as a weakness. Oh, you're going to be loving, loving kindness? Here, we'll chop off your head. How about that? And then we have truth. Point B is truth. Again, truth, the Hebrew emeth is bigger than aletheia, is bigger than the Greek word for truth. In fact, it takes two Greek words to really summarize what emeth is all about. And I think that's significant. Emeth, E-M-E-T-H. And, the, and it's really, it starts with an apostrophe instead of an E. Um, because of the aleph that starts it, so it's Ameth, okay? And I don't know how Glenn pronounces these, but I was taught that that with the Aleph letter, you close your throat like the letter H in honest, right? You read the word honest. You don't say honest or honest, okay? You know it's a silent H, but more than a silent H, it's actually a throat closure. So you, you don't say honest, you say honest, you start with that closure of the throat. Same thing with emeth, all right? With emeth, you've got to consciously start it or eventually unconsciously start it with the emeth when you start with the olive. And your first, uh, your first vowel there is, is uh, with a segol. So anyway, with a shawah, emeth. So it's shorter than your second e. With chesed, they're both equal e's. With emeth, the first e is shorter than the second e. That's all I'm saying. All right. And none of you care anyway, except Dan. Dan's working on his Hebrew, uh, and maybe Lewis someday. He'll be working on your Ameth. All right, Chesed and Ameth. 127 times. It does speak to truth as opposed to falsehood, but it also speaks to faithfulness as opposed to faithlessness. And so in the 127 uses, you've got a division between the way that Ameth is used. And Ameth, by the way, is cognate, is, it is related to the Amen. Okay, of yes, I believe it is so. Yes, let it be true. And so you have a meth uh, for truth, but also for faithfulness. And if some if somebody is going to be true, then you would expect that they're going to be faithful, right? We, we even use the term interchangeably. You're, if you're faithful in your duties, if you're true to your word, it's not just being factually accurate. It's not a matter of being you know, your data is correct or your data is incorrect, true and false, it is, it is faithful. If somebody is true, that means they're faithful, true to their word. And so this Old Testament Hebrew term spans the New Testament Greek terms of pistos, faithful, and aletheia, truth. Aletheia, truth. 
such as my daughter, okay? <laughs> it's my daughter's name, and it's much more feminine sounding than Ameth. I don't know any girl who will be known as Ameth. But Aletheia? Okay, we can go with that. In this scope, Ameth. And it's interesting, both, both Chesed, and there I put a C in there, Chesed and Ameth are both concepts that speak to man's salvation. When we start looking at the Chesed passages, we see an awful lot that detail our salvation. We start looking at Ameth passages, truth, faithfulness. We start seeing passages, concepts that speak to our salvation. And I'll show you that when we show you the combination of kindness and truth. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. In other words, don't leave the path of salvation. You're saved by grace through faith. Stay in that path. Keep your eyes on the Word of God because that's the path of your salvation. So, chesed in the uh, concept that spans charis, elias, and agape is a concept that speaks to man's salvation. It is God's grace and mercy and love that saved you. His chesed saved you. His chesed saved me. Likewise, his ameth, his faithfulness and his truth and if you don't ever think of his faithfulness and his truth in terms of your salvation, I'd recommend you start thinking of that because it, it, it's a great uh, testimony to how your security, to how you cannot lose your salvation because he is faithful, because he is true, because the one who promised you eternal life cannot lie and he cannot change his mind. He promised eternal life to those who trust Christ. Now, if he's not faithful and true, you're not saved. I'm not saved. This is why I believe um, replacement theology misses the mark. They, they ascribe to God a bunch of lies. <laughs> They're painting a God who's not faithful, who's not true. And uh, if he can back out on his promises to Israel and reassign them to the church, that's a violation of every promise in the Bible. The promise has to be kept to the one that you promise. <laughs> All right. I mean, it just seems like this is a no-brainer, but you'd be amazed at how many uh, replacement theologians are out there that don't even blink an eye at how insane their theology is. And if God is really like that, then they're not saved. Because what's to stop him from chucking the church and switching to something different? And saying, well, you Christians are a bunch of losers. I'm going to dump you like I dumped Israel. Okay? God didn't dump Israel. Yeah, they were a bunch of losers and so were we, but God didn't dump them. He won't dump us. We are eternally secure in Christ because God is faithful and true. We are positionally in Christ, the one whose very name is faithful and true. When he goes on that white horse to wage war against Antichrist, what are the names that are written on his thigh? Faithful and true. Isn't that beautiful? All right. There are 33 verses that contain both chesed and ameth. 33 verses of the Old Testament that combine chesed and ameth. And, and some of them are almost accidental. They're not really linked together with a chesed kai, you know, a chesed wa ameth combination. But there are the bulk of those 33, say 25 or more, that really link the concepts. And as they link the concepts, I think we need to also link the concepts in our thinking. Start to think of love and mercy in terms of truth. Okay? Start to think of um, our chesed. If we're going to be chesed as he is chesed, 
if we're going to have love, uh, loving kindness towards one another, it's got to be in truth. We have to love one another in spirit and in truth. We have to worship in spirit and in truth. So next week we will come back and look at those. Doug's taking a picture. All right. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your truth. Father, um, where would we be if you were not a God of chesed? We'd be in hell. Um, If you were not a God of chesed, you would not have uh, provided your son in our place that we might have eternal life with you. So thank you for your gift. Thank you for your, your loving kindness and your truth. I pray that we might not let them slip from our grasp, that we would hold on to them, that we would embrace them, even as we do not forget your commandments and even as we obey your commandments from the heart. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.